If you're able, uh, would you stand with me as we read from God's Word, Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. Pay careful attention. This is God's word. Uh, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of all of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated and let's pray and ask the Lord's help this morning. Gracious Lord, you have taught us that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. So, Lord, we pray today that you would give us spiritual insight and understanding into your word so that we might find our life in you and be enabled to follow you faithfully. For the glory of your name, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Just to catch us up where we are, uh, we're we're continuing in one story in this section of the book of Acts. In chapter 3, Peter and John have healed a man who was born lame. He could not walk. Uh, Here we find out that he was more than 40 years old when this miracle took place. After performing this sign, attesting to the power of God in Jesus, Peter preached a sermon that Jesus, who had died and had been raised from the dead, was the one who had healed this man through Peter and John. The authorities there in Jerusalem had corralled Peter and John, put them in prison overnight, and now have brought them before the Sanhedrin, the council of religious authorities there in Jerusalem. They've begun to press them, to question them. What power and what name have you done this? Last week, we looked at Peter's initial response to that, uh, that this man had been healed in the name of Jesus, whom these leaders had put to death, but whom God had raised from the dead and testify that there is salvation in no one else outside of Jesus. And here we follow up with the next part of that uh, encounter between Peter and John and the religious authorities. And this morning we want to look at what it looks like, what it means as we look at Peter and John, what it means to be faithful witnesses. Lots of things we could talk about from this passage, but that's what we're going to focus on this morning. 
Uh, but first, let me introduce you to a couple of missionaries. In 1942, Mary Beam and Betty Cridland arrived in the Blue Nile province of Sudan as missionaries with the Sudan Interior Mission, known as SIM. Uh, their headquarters are actually uh, not too far from here. Both of these women had trained at uh, what was then known as Columbia Bible College in, in Columbia, South Carolina, and had answered God's call to serve him in missions in Africa. They joined the SIM team then at Chali and focused their efforts on reaching the Yuduk people, which at that point was an unreached group in Sudan. Along the way, they faced uh, many challenges as they engaged in this mission work. The Yudukes were extremely superstitious and incredibly fearful, fearful of evil spirits, uh, and that led to lots of different things. It led to constant fighting. Each morning, they would often hear uh, the war horn being blown, and different groups within this people group would gather, and they would go to war with each other. They would fight each other. They had an extreme fear of twins. They believed that twins were a curse. And so anytime twins were born, they simply abandoned them, buried them alive, and despised the mother who had given birth to them. If a child died in childbirth, both the child and its mother were buried, whether the mother had died or not. They were captive to fear and darkness. It was an incredibly difficult environment just physically, Mosquitoes, disease, large prowling animals uh, out there in the middle of nothing, dangers, disease, and isolation. And yet through the work of Mary and Betty, as they came to be known, uh, and the other missionaries there, the Lord converted the whole people group. All of the Udukes came to Christ, and a church was established there in 1949. The Lord worked a radical change among this people group. There had been a group of German psychologists from the University of Heidelberg who had studied, had been studying this group of people for years, had been studying uh, the Udukes. And they had observed that this was the most fearful group of people that they had ever encountered. When they came back years later, after Mary and Betty had been laboring there along with other missionaries, they were astonished at what they saw. They were astonished at the change. And they inquired about this with Mary and Betty. How can this be? This is the most fearful group of people we've ever seen, and they're totally different today. And Mary and Betty told them that it was the power of the risen Jesus that had changed them. In 1983, one Yuduk Christian said this, testifying to the work of God among them. He said, from long ago, people were always being killed because of fear of evil spirits. This has ceased now. Because Jesus is very big. People get to know Jesus and leave this behind. This was his testimony of the power of Christ among them. How did this happen? How did this change take place? How did it come to be that people were radically changed, brought out of darkness, brought out of captivity to these fears, brought into a faithful walk with Jesus? Well... Jesus did it. <laughs> the power of the risen Lord Jesus worked among them and brought this people to himself. But he does it, he does that type of thing through faithful witnesses, through people like Mary Beam and Betty Cridlin, like Peter and John, like, like you and like me. 
And we see in this passage in the book of Acts what it looks like to be a faithful witness. We see witness qualifications. So let's look briefly at three things that we see from this passage that define and characterize faithful witnesses for Jesus. First, we see that faithful witnesses know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and show Jesus. They know, grow, and show. Notice verses 13 and 14. Peter has preached his sermon. Now he's, he and John are in the middle of this kind of intimidating group of Jewish religious authorities, questioning them, uh, putting them to it, if you will. Uh, and as Peter has just finished his brief defense, Luke tells us the response from these Jewish authorities, from the Sanhedrin council. They, are, they observe in Peter and John confidence, but are perplexed because these men are uneducated. Notice what it says. Verse 13, they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They see their boldness. The word here means, the word for confidence here, means more than simply self-assurance or, or simple boldness. Uh, it describes, rather, the freedom and the readiness to speak boldly. The freedom of speech that comes from being prepared knowing your subject intimately, knowing how to engage with others about it. There was no fear, there was no hesitation in their bold witness to Jesus Christ. Particularly, they had heard Peter's sermon. They had heard Peter preach and interpret uh, skillfully the Old Testament, these prophecies. They had heard Peter boldly confront these religious authorities with their own guilt in delivering Jesus over to death, this one whom God had raised from the dead, they saw Peter's boldness and his skill. And yet at the same time, they're looking at these two guys, Peter and John, and they recognize they're untrained, they're uneducated, and they can't square these two things together. The boldness, the confidence, the freedom that they have in speaking so boldly, coupled with the, the fact that they are not formally educated. They had no formal training with the rabbis. They didn't belong to the guild. They didn't belong to the union of rabbis there in Jerusalem, the local union. They were not part of the inner ring of spiritual and scriptural authorities. They had no degree from the Jerusalem Bible College. They had no advanced training with a respected and accepted rabbi. If they showed up to the annual conference of Bible scholars in Jerusalem, they wouldn't have been allowed in. They didn't have the right qualifications. They didn't have the right credentials in the eyes of these authorities. And yet, when these leaders, these rulers, these scribes, these authoritative interpreters of the Old Testament, this council of leaders, look at Peter and John, they're amazed. And they have no response they cannot give an answer to what they see. They cannot give an answer to Peter's explanation of the Bible and his proclamation of Jesus. They have, Luke tells us, nothing to say in reply. They can't even deny the miracle that has taken place. It's, it's undeniable that this man has been healed. But Luke tells us that there are certain qualifications that they have and that these are the ones that matter. They've been with Jesus. This is really the heart of what it means to be a faithful witness. That when it comes to being a faithful witness, the main question we have to ask is, 
Do you know him? Have you been with Jesus? Have you spent time with Christ? Are you walking with him by faith? Are you growing in your love for him and in your likeness to his character and your obedience to his word? Are you growing in grace? Are you trusting in him for righteousness and forgiveness? Those are the credentials. Those are the qualifications that matter. Like the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, uh, in the meditative passage that we read earlier, that you may have read earlier, Paul had actually credentials that Peter and John didn't. Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had been trained under a, a learned and respected rabbi. Paul was a respected Pharisee and a respected teacher of the law. But what does Paul say about his own qualifications as he learned to be a faithful witness of Christ? He says, I, I, I count it all loss. None of it mattered. The only thing that mattered was knowing Jesus and being found righteous in Christ who died and who rose again, being conformed to his image, to his death, his suffering, so that we might be conformed to his resurrection and know the power of the risen Jesus. Those are the qualifications that matter. And those are the qualifications that Peter and John had. They had been with Jesus. Malcolm Forsberg, the other missionary, one of the other missionaries who had been with Miss Mary and Miss Betty in the Sudan, uh, said this of Betty Cridland. She had grown up in Philadelphia and had been a lifelong member of the Reformed Episcopal Church there. So she'd grown up with the, with the prayer book, the Anglican prayer book. She was a skilled linguist. She was a very able worker. But uh, Malcolm Forsberg said that what made the difference with Betty was her time at Columbia Bible College in training to be a missionary. He said that there at Columbia Bible College, the Christ of the prayer book came alive to Betty, and everything changed for her. She knew Jesus. She had other credentials. She was trained. She was skilled, but she knew Jesus, and that's what made her an effective missionary on the field, a faithful witness. Friends, you don't have to know all the answers you don't have to be a gifted public speaker. You don't have to qualify with credentials in the eyes of the world. You might be fearful of talking about Jesus to your friends, to your family. You might feel like, I'm not qualified. I haven't studied enough. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. You don't have to have all of those things to be a faithful witness, but you do have to know Jesus. And if you know him, if you know him, then you can share what you know, and you can do it with the confidence that comes from knowing Christ, showing him in your life and with your words. Peter and John were uneducated. They were fishermen, but they knew Jesus. Peter and John were uneducated, but they stumped the authorities because they knew Jesus. They knew Jesus, and their lives reflected it, and that made them faithful witnesses. Do you know Jesus? Are you trusting him? Are you walking with him? If so, then you are credentialed to be a faithful witness. Faithful witnesses know Jesus. They're growing in him, and they're showing him in their lives. But they also seek to be faithful regardless of the cost personally. This boldness in Peter and John potentially costs them. And, and they do pay the price as they begin to face this opposition among the religious leaders uh, in Jerusalem. 
But notice the response of the Sanhedrin in verses 15 through 20, just in summary. The council has gathered them together. They've posed these questions. Uh, They've heard Peter speak in defense, and now they send them out. They excuse them from the meeting. And Luke somehow has the inside scoop on what they said when Peter and John were out. Uh, They begin to make a plan. They can't deny that there's a miracle that's happened. They can't deny that these men have boldness and confidence that they shouldn't have, but they have it from being with Jesus, and so they come up with the best plan they can devise at this point. Silence them. You know how that that tends to not work. You have authorities, and you have a movement among the people, this gathering momentum, and the authorities try to squash it. You know what happens? It always gets bigger, and especially if, if it's a work of God. You can't stop it. But that's their plan. Let's just tell these guys to shut their mouths and not talk about Jesus anymore. So this is their plan because they don't want it to spread among the people and they could lose uh, their authority and so forth. There's all kinds of things going on here. Silence them. So they come, they bring Peter and John back in. They communicate the plan to them. And then you see Peter and John's response in verse 19. Peter and John answered and said to them, I love this, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. In other words, you judge whether we should obey you over God. You you figure that out. We don't care what you think because we're going to keep talking about Jesus. Notice what Peter says after that. We cannot stop. We can't stop speaking about what we've seen, about what we've heard. They had seen Jesus. They were compelled by what they had seen and heard. They'd seen the risen Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the fact that he died, he was buried in a tomb, he rose again from the dead in fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people. They were eyewitnesses to this. We have their eyewitness testimony in the scriptures. You may not have seen Jesus physically in the body, but you don't have to. You have his word testifying to this reality that Jesus has risen from the dead. And you too have seen Jesus at work in your own life and perhaps in the lives of others. How have you seen Christ working in other people's lives? How have you seen Jesus at work in your life, humbling you, exposing your sin, giving you the abundance of grace to cover your sin and to enable you to walk follow him faithfully. How have you seen Jesus work in your life? You, if you've seen him do that, then that same compulsion that drove Peter and John to say, we can't stop. We can't stop speaking about it. That same compulsion should be ours as well. Paul reflects on this in, in certain ways in 2 Corinthians, where he says that the love of Christ controls him, compels him, some versions say, He had experienced the deep, deep, unfathomable love of Christ. The love that brings our sins up and covers them with the perfect beauty of Jesus. The love that that shows our sin before a holy God and declares to us that it's been nailed to a cross, born by the Son of God in our place. The love that tells us that we are beloved in the Son with a love that cannot be broken and a hope 
that never fails because it is anchored in Jesus who died and who rose again. If you have experienced the love of Christ in that way, then you ought to be able to say with Paul, the love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ compels me to be a faithful witness to what he has done objectively in his own dying and rising and also in my own experience as you have known and trusted in the love of Christ for yourself. They were faithful witnesses even though it may cost them. Notice how Peter and John kindly, boldly, and yet clearly refuse to disobey God. This, this was risky. This was risky to say to the authorities, you figure out what you think is right or wrong. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're not going to obey you if what you say to us goes against God. And this is really the root of uh, a godly civil disobedience, if you will, where man's commands conflict with God's commands. You obey God, uh, very simply. You've got to figure all that out. Sometimes that's complicated. But where they conflict clearly, uh, we must, even at the risk of personal uh, loss, we must obey God. And notice Peter and John do it here. There's no yelling and screaming. Uh, they don't raise their hands up uh, in a furor over this. They just simply and calmly say, we're, we're not going to obey you <laughs> because we have to obey the living God. And that, that's it. That's their response. Have you seen and experienced, as the Eudukes did, that Jesus is big and that those who know him are different from knowing him? If you have, then we can't go on our way unchanged, but must be faithful witnesses to Jesus. Notice as well, finally, Peter and John know Jesus. That qualifies them as faithful witnesses. Uh, they are faithful to him, even at the risk of personal cost uh, to their own lives and livelihood. And finally, they trust God with the outcome. Uh, they, they simply submit themselves to the authorities, but they submit themselves to God. And we're, we're going to keep on obeying God. God will do as he pleases. And the authorities release them. They know they don't have any legal basis for keeping them. Of course, this will come back in a couple of chapters later uh, where they put them in prison again. That's an exciting story. We'll get there. Uh, but for now, they release them. They say, okay, we don't have any reason for putting you back in prison. We can't punish you for this. Uh, we, they send them on their way uh, in part because the people were glorifying God because of what had happened through Peter and John. They didn't want to upset the people. So they release Peter and John uh, back into uh, their freedom to do as they will. Peter and John, uh, as we'll see later in the chapter, but uh, just for now we can say they, they trust God with the outcome. They're freed from this captivity. People are all glorifying God. Peter and John knew that God was at work and they entrusted themselves to him. This ought to point out to us the nature of being a witness to Jesus Christ, that it is ministry and not manipulation. Sometimes we desire somebody to know Jesus or for their lives to change, and we want it so badly that we feel like we've got to make it happen. I've got to be the one to convince. I've got to be the one to persuade. And sometimes it's heavy-handed. But Peter and John's example here is encouraging to us, and I think a, a worthy model for us to follow. What does Peter do? He answers them from the Bible. He proclaims Jesus. He submits himself to God and maintains his own integrity before them. And then he trusts God 
with the outcome. God will do as he pleases, and he will do what we cannot do. He will change hearts. He will open blind eyes. He will unstop deaf ears. He alone is able to bring the, uh, the dead to life in Jesus. And if he's raised Jesus from the dead and is at work with that same power now through his people as we faithfully witness, he will do it. He's able to do it. And so we entrust it to him. We minister, we serve, we love, and we trust God with the outcome and don't try to control it. God is at work. He's at work restoring people to himself, saving people, cleansing people from their sins, remaking us in the image of Jesus. He's at work building his church in the world, and his work cannot be thwarted by any human authority, by any human weakness. God is at work carrying out his purposes, and he will use us as he pleases. And our task is simply to be faithful, to be faithful to the Lord and to trust him with the outcome. Mary and Betty, these wonderful missionaries about whom you can read in this delightful book, Swift and Beautiful by David Calhoun, commended to you. Mary and Betty uh, labored on the mission field in Sudan among the Udukes uh, for many years, for as long as they could. Eventually, they were forced out. They were kind of in the area between North and South Sudan. And as uh, the government changed and you had a dominant Muslim influence come into the Sudan, uh, American missionaries were forced out of the area. Now, the Udukes had already established their church. You had Uduk pastors, elders, all that kind of thing already set up there. And so they left. They, they left the Sudan and uh, continued to pray for the Christians at, in the Uduk church there, the Uduk Christians. Mary and Betty left and continued to serve through prayer, continued to serve in, in other ways uh, back in the States. Eventually, uh, as, as the Muslim influence became more dominant in Sudan, as, as it is today in either North or South Sudan, I can't remember, uh, these Christians experienced great persecution because they were right on the border. And the authorities came in, uh, burned, burned the church there uh, in the 90s as they began to kind of sweep through and push out these Christians. And the Udukes were scattered as a people group, went to Ethiopia, Kenya, other places in Africa, but continued to bear faithful witness to the Lord Jesus Christ and his power wherever they went wherever they went. Betty and Mary both died in 2002. Their funerals were both at Mitchell Road, PCA, in Greenville, South Carolina. And in 2003, a young man who was attending what used to be called Columbia Bible College, now uh, Columbia International University, uh, a Udu Christian, a student there preparing for missions work, preparing for ministry, uh, testified to the work of Betty and Mary that they had carried out among the Udukes. Uh, and as he testified that, to this, he said, if it was not for Mary and Betty ministering and sharing the gospel with my parents, 40s, 50s, 60s, and so forth through those decades, he said, I would not be here today. Mary and Betty had no way of knowing what the Lord would do with this witness in a very difficult area among a people group who had never been reached they never had the Bible in their own language until these missionaries came there. They had not heard the name of Jesus. They were held captive by superstitions and fears and, and the darkness of uh, the, the 
the God of this world, as Paul says, who blinded the eyes of unbelievers. They were held captive by that. Mary and Betty showed up through a very difficult journey to get there. They labored in a hard place, faithfully witnessing to Jesus, loving these people, encouraging them to follow Christ. And even some 60, now 70 or more years later, uh, those people can still testify to the love of Christ. And Mary and Betty had no way of knowing the outcome, but they were faithful. And they bore witness to Jesus, and they trusted God with the outcome. Uh, You do not know the way God will use you in simple things, loving your neighbor as yourself, being faithful in your job, uh, joyfully serving Jesus wherever you may be, loving people whether they accept you or accept Jesus or not, forgiving the sins of others, not, not bearing their sins around on you and hold, on yourself and holding it against them. But as you faithfully know Jesus, grow in him, and display his love in your life, regardless of the personal cost it brings you, God is at work through you. Be faithful, and he will use you for his own glory. Would you pray with me?